broadcasting from the third coast and recorded live at Tripod South Studios. This is The Hango Show. Mile location. Let's move a mile and a half off where there's no traffic and put a $3 million spot. I just don't think they would do I don't start just because all the other Chick fil A's are right there next to something booming. Well, the one by, you know, oh, Pizza oh, Hut or it's whatever. In the middle of Kroger parking lot, you know, the, the main one, in, the, the one in, in the main, main town close to us. But I, I really wish they would do it somewhere where traffic, like they stuck that jacks right there in the middle of the damn town. Where there's no place for traffic to go besides hit the brakes. I think what you're going to see is a, a red light. They've I been think, trying to get a red light at the intersection forever because of all the accidents there. Yeah. I, I think, man, you'll see at least one red light go up this year. I think you will because, you know, it's uh, there's um, already some people talking about it. You know, they've got local elections and stuff that will be coming up. Uh, that's going to be – somebody has already been mentioning, hey, man, you know, y'all elect me. I'm going to get a red light up, blah, blah. So it's already it's already some people talking, you know, about it. Of course, the town, everybody in town knows it needs it, you know, coming out of y'all's driveway and, you know, all that uh, um, factory, it, it comes right. out. And then you got uh, three or four other major burger joints right there. It's all, in, you know, yeah, coming and going. It's terrible. The bad part is it's just not set up for a red light. That, I mean, it's, it's set a, up for it's just a weird intersection. Yeah, on the intersection, and you know, you turn out when you can get out from the road. Well, that's what I'm saying. There may be wind up being two. You may actually wind up seeing two red lights. You know, one there for the for the um, the plant. factory. Yeah, you know that right there at that intersection, and then and then maybe one back a little closer uh, on the other side of or coming out of. The um, grocery store parking lot. Well, they're going to have to, if they would rework the strip mall that you're in, Judd, if they would maybe keep those two, the two entrance and exits there as stop signs and just make a main one to run to intersect with the one across the road with the, where the plant's at. Maybe. I don't know. If, I don't even know if that would work or not because once. Four o'clock hits a Mexican restaurant there next to you. Is right. packed to the gills with six o'clock. You know, yeah, something's got to happen. It needs to happen over there. That's for sure. Yeah, small town so, USA. Somebody's going to have to die there for this. <laughs> there well, has there have there people been, have died there. They died. I know there's been a ton of wrecks at the, the, the intersection. Yeah. Well, there was a rear end just the other like what a month ago. Somebody got rear ended coming out of the uh, the uh, burger place. Right there before before the other one was even open. It's going to be a nightmare. There's, I mean, honestly, it's going to be an absolute nightmare traffic wise. Back in the day when when I was in that strip mall over there, there was a local guy that used to walk everywhere, and he got clipped early one morning. I remember that. Um, just splattered him. Yeah. And uh, of course. I mean, I would honestly, man, I can't really believe that there's not been some sort of traffic light there or something, you know, this far. I mean, I can't. Well, they've been know. trying to put one in. They've tried a couple times since I moved to this immediate area. Um, and shit, I've been here for, I've been in around this town probably for at least 15 years. And they've tried, I mean, people have gotten hit over and over and over at that same intersection and 
you know, they refuse to do nothing about it. Now they'll give all this kind of money to these, these Ponzi schemes that come through here. You know, the one they were going to put up behind, behind your mom and dad's house, Judd, you know, they tell that dirt, dirt work and stuff. And then the company skated away with the money. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of like the monorail episode of the Simpsons. Yeah. It was that, uh, what was it? The some flame. It was like a, it was like a recyclable energy plant. They were yeah, going to burn was, trash to make energy. Yeah. Mom wasn't happy about <laughs> that. <laughs> they were looking to move or something over that whole oh, day, yeah. which I don't blame them. I yeah. wouldn't burn trash in my backyard either. You remember when that happened? I remember. I didn't it remember. Was it was biofuel. It was a yeah. biofuel place. Yeah. I couldn't remember what it was, but I knew there was something that was, that yeah. was going in back there. Well, they took the money from our city or from this town and went and built one like in Korea or something. And they never finished it there. And then it kind of vanished in thin air. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was a flop. <clears throat> hey, everybody. Welcome to the Hango Show. Hope you enjoy our fast food and, and trash burning talk. <laughs> I'm your host, Hango Wood, back again this week. I've got Harpoon and Jut back again. Y'all doing all right this week? Doing good. Man, yeah. Y'all survived the snow apocalypse? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lost a lot of money, but <laughs> yeah, survived. When, when it hits down here, man. It become number one when it when it threatens any kind of snow, ice, sleet, everything kind of shuts down to begin with. But when it actually happens, all hell breaks loose, just because nobody is prepared. They're prepared for the apocalypse, just not the snow apocalypse. Uh, if it's beyond bread, milk, and eggs, nobody knows what to do. Of course, a lot of that goes back to our city, our county, our state. They don't have the equipment to move large sums of snow and ice and whatnot. So there's that too. But when it's three straight days of just constant buildup of the snow and more ice and then more snow on top of that ice and nonstop, it puts a halt to things. Um, we tried for that whole week to try to <laughs> try to get over here and record. It wasn't going to happen. That's right. <laughs> Uh, Jut, do you want to share everybody with your um, what you accomplished during the snow apocalypse? You landed that triple Lutz. Oh yeah, <laughs> right, right on my back. <laughs> he landed it just not on his feet. Yeah, well, at you know, at my wise age of forty plus, I thought it would be a great idea to get an old skateboard deck that didn't have any trucks or wheels on it, and tried snowboarding and uh, found out that I'm not as young as I was again. Uh, <laughs> where, where, what would you do? Where? Well, I just, I, I was treating it as a skim board, you know, uh-huh. like you would at the beach. And uh, I just kind of let it slide across. And then I went running, tried to jump on it. And my front hit, my front foot hit the front of the board. And of course that pushed it into the ice and it just, just stopped. Completely. Wow. So I turned backwards because I knew I was going down and uh, just took the brunt of the, the fall on my back. And uh, luckily, didn't didn't hurt, but I was sore for a few days. <laughs> Bruised oh. your ego a little bit. Yeah, Bruce. Yeah. Once, yeah, once again on the damn skateboard. <laughs> Do you have headgear on or anything? <laughs> I mean, that'd be a first for me. I'm like, <laughs> no. I need headgear and a mouthpiece anyway, man. <laughs> Yeah, luckily it wasn't a face plant, so that could have been really bad. Uh-huh. After we recorded last time, um, I guess it was a week after we recorded because it was after the episode came out. 
uh, I was already back on my on my sleep schedule for for work, and I got up one morning or one morning, one evening, <clears throat> about six o'clock to get ready to go to work. And my phone was just full of text messages and 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 social media messages and everything. Hey, thanks for the heads up on SNDL. Thanks so much, man. It's looking good today. It's looking great. I'm like, what, what, what's going on? So I check and uh, Sundial Growers had went over five bucks a share after I'd mentioned that was my <laughs> that was going to be my pick. I was like, well, this can't be good because there's no way that I spoke. Number one, we spoke we spoke the GameStop thing into existence by mentioning Wall Street bets on this show, and then we mentioned silver. And that's what everybody said they were going to go to was silver. I mentioned SNDL. It goes through the roof the next week, the week it was launched. And so I said, well, this can't be good. If everybody's buying up SNDL, I know it's, I know it's not because of this show. <laughs> we're not quite that big yet. But I first thing I do is open Reddit, go to Wall Street Bets. Number one post that week. I'm looking at SNDL, guys. <laughs> I'm like, okay, either we're on some kind of crazy cosmic uh Conjoin, con, conjoining there with whoever wrote this post or somebody's listening to this show and posting stuff on Wall Street Vets and it's getting a lot of traction, one of the two. I was like, well, shit. I knew what they were doing. They were pumping this stuff. Apparently, SNDL had been getting shorted also, unbeknownst to me. And so they got word talking about people People were trying to short that, so they were trying to pump that stock up. And sure enough, it went up. It went up for a couple of weeks. Now it's, it's back down to what it was originally, like a like a buck thirty a share. But there's been a lot of talk. Um, the guy who started kind of the whole GameStop fiasco on Reddit he he uh, testified in front of Senate this week. I don't know if you saw that or not. I heard about it. I didn't. I didn't see it though. Yeah, it was pretty cool because I think he's from Massachusetts. And his senator was on the the committee, and the senator said, "Because I think he he bought twelve. The guy who started this whole thing, his name is Deep Fucking Value. That's his username on on Reddit. He bought, I think, either five thousand or ten thousand shares back, like in like November or December, when it was like ten bucks a share." Wow, I think I think it was he bought fifty thousand shares that. Then he bought twelve dollar, like April fifteenth calls for twelve twelve dollar. He'd be able he would he could yeah calls twelve bucks. This even after the surge and the stock today was like at one thirty when it closed at. So and he still hadn't sold his, his calls. He's hanging on to them. The guy's got. Balls of diamonds because I mean I would have been like sold done, um, but that congressman said, "Would you buy this stock at fifty bucks a share?" And he said, "You know, I'm not giving I'm not giving financial advice. I I, I invest aggressively, but yes, I would buy the stock today at fifty dollars a share." And the congressman laughed at him. Well, that night he posted a screenshot of his investments and he had bought he had doubled his his investment. He bought fifty thousand more shares. Wow! So he's sitting on a hundred thousand shares of GameStop, GameStop stock. Plus, he's still holding those calls. You know, since all this stuff's been going down um, with GameStop, there was uh, uh, 
some some talk that you could you know um, cryptocurrency you know is is of course it's kind of going through the roof and everything and everybody's wanting to mine you know Bitcoin or whatever but they're getting to a point where now at GameStop you can go and buy the high end chips that you need to put mm-hmm. into your own computer to start mining your own stuff so they're they're saying hey look man we're not only just a you know our video our, game store video game store yeah I mean this we're actually moving towards you know, doing something else. I mean, we're starting to evolve, you know. So uh, the one of the interviews I saw with one of the – one of the uh, – I see, what was that guy? Um, I don't, he, wasn't the C, he wasn't the CEO. It was um, – I don't know. So it was, he had another high position with the company, and he was, say, he was talking about it. And uh, he was talking about NVIDIA um, being, you know, the chip maker, you know, and, and they're the number one – mining chip so they were saying you know this would be a a, an outlet where if you wanted to go and start mining your own stuff that people it would would bring more customers to us as well and plus they're setting up an online platform also they're 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 trying the see they just got the new ceo the guy who started chewy.com he's the oh that's the new he's the new ceo of gamestop wow and so he's trying to and see their cfo just got fired or quote-unquote resigned last week and so they're trying to bring in a new CFO on top of this. Um, and it, the, whoever, the, I can't remember the guy's name, Cohen, I think his name may be, the guy from from Chewy. Um, it, he is trying to parlay their brick-and-mortar stores into an on, to make them an online retailer, which is going to cut a lot of costs for the company. You know, all those leases, all the employees, which, it, I mean, it sucks that employees are losing their jobs, but that's kind of the way the world's going right now. They were, they were they were fixing to lose them anyway. Right, they were going bankrupt. I mean, absolutely. Their their their, their business model was just you know outdated. Right. So now I, I saw this guy post this on Reddit. I like it a lot. Um, user is uh, the Mountain Three. I think is his username. Is my rules for investing in the stock market, and they are really good. Number one, a strong push precedes a rapid fall. When the stock jumps 25% to 100% in three weeks or less, especially after a long period of calm, the fall is inevitable. If you still want to get in, make an exit plan. Don't try to beat the market by exiting the peak because you will fail every time. That's what I said the last time you guys were on. Timing the market is better than timing the market. It's it's impossible to do. Um, Rule number two, it's better to get out with a little profit often than to try to get out with a maximum all the time. In the end, all the small profits will probably be bigger anyway. Rule three, if it's a stock push by Reddit with a lot of hype, be super careful. This means the stock is artificially inflated and that a sudden drop is guaranteed. Always have an exit plan, even if it means less gains. Number four, never invest a large amount of cash on one stock. Invest amounts between $50 to $500 on several different stocks unless unless it's a a safe bet with quote unquote normal growth based on real news, not on Reddit or not on hype. Rule five, be patient and don't panic. It's normal that stocks go up and down from time to time. If it's a company with real potential, it will go up in the future. It's okay to let a stock sleep for several months or even years. That rule doesn't apply to pump and dump stocks. Rule number six, never invest at the opening of the markets when the pre-market is on the surge. 
wait for a dip, also see rule number seven. Rule number seven, never fall for the fear of missing out mode. There's always going to be another train following the one you miss. And number eight, never look back. It's useless. What's done is done. Focus on your next opportunity to invest. Those are really good, man. That's that, that's a lot of common sense stuff. Um, the the FOMO, the fear yes. of missing out. You know, I mean, you hear everybody all of a sudden start making a bunch of easy money, and then it brings in people that aren't in, involved in the stock market or whatever. You know, the the big money moving is, and it gets them thinking, "Hey, man, I want to make some big money too." So they'll take, you know, their life savings maybe ten ten k. You know, and they may take, well, look, man, I'm going to put seven of it in the GameStop or whatever, whatever the big money move is. So they, they can, you know, they heard their friend that they work with has, has tripled his money. Right. Well, man, hey, man, I could triple up. That'd be great. People were going and refinancing their house over this. They were taking out equity loans, trying to pump it into GameStop. I would never, I, I would, I would never think of going to get a loan to put into something that wasn't guaranteed to make me money in the long run. There's, there's been quite a bit of that in Bitcoin too. Oh yeah. That happened back what four or five years ago. That, that Halloween night, I mean, you were talking, I'm like, Hey man, it just hit 16,000. And you're like, Holy shit, you know? And then it was a big sell off. Well, now it's back. I think it's back around 50 grand a piece today. Yeah. Somewhere around there. Um, I'll make a confession on the show. Um, it's at 49198 right now. Um, I liquidated all my stocks. I pulled out. I was doing, um, I've been doing a lot of reading over the last week. Um, and some things got me spooked. Um, uh, one of which is the next stimulus check coming out. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with quantitative easing. I don't know if you are or not. Um, that was what was used back in the Obama administration after the 2008 crash, the market with, with the housing market and everything. Um, whoever the guy was that came into the Fed after Greenspan, um, he was a big fan of Keynesian economics, which is the belief that you know you can break a window and create a job. That that kind of idea that. Uh, and that if you pump enough money into the market, um, it'll help it recover instead of, you know, pulling the Band-Aid off and letting things fail. Uh, they did it with the banks, propped them up. Yep. Um, and they've done it now with the payroll protection plans. Uh, they're doing it now with stimulus checks to regular people. Um, unemployment. Unemployment, which, you know, I guess you may be able to. You, you're you have a business with employees. Are you have you have to pay that? You have to pay an unemployment tax, right? Yeah. But now they've added even more, more into the, in, in, the government has added more into the um, unemployment siphon. Um, and you know we're about about every about every ten to fifteen years lately since the dot com pop. You know we've had some kind of some kind of recession and we're getting pretty close to the next go around. And I rather, I think I took a loss on one stock, but it was, it was like 40 bucks. 
I can live with losing 40 bucks and keeping what I, what I had in there, you know, just to get out. Um, I know I may sound like a big chicken. I know I may sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my my mouth. Um, but I don't want to lose what I had invested. Um, well, that's the, that's the name of the game. Okay. Overall, you want to stay in the game, right? You know, so, um, it's always best. I mean, you know, we talked about my silver investments <laughs> and I was all in, you know, I mean, I, 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 I'd taken a bunch of money, you know, I mean, I took quite a bit of money and it started going south and I had to keep pumping money into it until I got to a point where they just liquidated everything and gave me a very, very, very small amount back at the end of it. Right. And, uh, so yeah, staying in the game, especially doing your homework, like you're doing, you're reading, you're watching videos, you're actively participating, you're thinking about, you know, the stocks and you're, you know, analyzing, doing your own thing. Well, that's, that's 95% of it. All you have to do is just be interested, Yeah. you know, and then pay attention to kind of what's going on and, and, and you'll have a gut feeling. You'll think, man, the market's extra frothy. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's a little bit overpriced or whatever. And there's nothing wrong with, with cashing out and, you know, waiting and letting everything, letting everything settle down and, and relax a little bit, you know, and, and, and like one of the, uh, one of the rules that you read earlier that the Reddit guy had put out, um, was that, you know, quality stocks are going to ebb and flow. They're going to rise and fall and rise and fall, but they're normally going to go in a, in a, upward right-hand motion, you know, they're going to continue to grow over time. And just for an example is Walmart, okay? Um, Everybody's familiar with Walmart. They have a stock that you can buy openly on any platform. And you just know that Walmart stock is going to, it's going to grow. Everybody's not, all of a sudden, they're just not going to stop going to Walmart, regardless of who comes to town or what it is. They've got to, you know, they're, they're going to be there. So as the market pulls back, you know, because of whatever, whatever the reason is, Walmart stock, just like most other stocks are going to fall just because the overall sentiment in the market is, is negative or right. is a little bearish or whatever, however you want to say it, you know, so those create buying opportunities for a longer perspective. You know, that stock over the long run is going to continue to grow. So these market pullbacks are exactly where you would want to take your money when you when you feel spooked like you did and you know you, you you've done your homework and you felt uneasy so you you cashed out. Well, when the market does realize what it is that you've been you you anticipated, you know, now you can buy whatever stock it is that you want at a cheaper price, at right. a discount, you know. And just like the guy in, in his rules were saying these pump and dump stocks, the the latest craze, the newest thing, the hypest bubble of whatever, you know, that's what you don't want. You know, you don't, I mean, if you're going to day trade that, you know, put your hundred dollars in and, and see where it goes at the end of the day and cash it out at the end of the day. And you may have 115, you may have 500, whatever it is, cash out at the end of the day. Well, that's different. If you're going to put it in and then check back in a, in a month or two, then you are gambling 100%. <laughs> you are hoping for the best. Driving with the eyes closed. And hope is not an investment strategy. I can tell you that right now. Yeah. It's just not. You know, you have to be diligent. You have to be interested. It has to be something, man, any stock, you know, um, we, we've talked earlier, you know, where, you know, you're just not, you're just not stock oriented or interested, 
yet or whatever, you know, it's just, it is something that, that you want to be, we want to follow, you know, because it is your money. You follow everything that goes on in your store. You're up to speed on your inventory and your rents and insurances and taxes and everything else that goes with it. If you're going to take some of your savings, you know, and allocate those to, to something else, um, then you would want to keep up with that. You'd want to make sure that whatever industry, if you was like to buy a rent house, you want to make sure you know what's going on in the real estate market or how the overall population is coming or going or whatever goes along with owning rent property. Or if you want to own stocks, you'd want to keep up with whichever stocks it is you know or you bought. You don't ever want to buy a stock that you don't know everything about. You want to read everything you can. You want to get a feel for what they've done in the past and what how the management team is thinking and what their financials are and what they have planned for the future and stuff like that. You want to be actively interested so that when you read these articles or watch these videos or listen to these podcasts or listen to interviews or whatever it is you do, um, and it would need to be a combination of all of it, I would think, you know, uh, to keep up with how your money is invested, you know, so that when you feel like the market is extra frothy or extra hype and ready for a pullback, you feel like those years are coming because of all this extra money that's being printed and all this inflation that's coming and, and all this stuff, you know, you feel this tidal wave coming, you know, and you pull your money out. This time next year, you might be able to buy any stock on the stock market right now for half price. Right. You might. Yeah. I mean, that that's a great long term way to look at it. Yeah. I mean, I've got I've got money placed here, which that's another problem with the quantitative easing. Is one of the first things they do is drop interest rates. Well, interest rates have been close to zero for twenty one years now since nine eleven. Mm-hmm. For twenty years, interest rates have been next to nothing. So by the time that I'm entering the workforce as a 20, 21-year-old uh, a person, there was no reason for me to start a savings account because I wasn't going to be making anything off of it. Right. Um, even now, um, Tink bought her car last year, 0% APR. Wow. I'm like, well, yeah, it's good for the consumer, but for someone who's trying to invest or someone trying to get – uh, an, an equity loan on their business or something. It's it, it. There's no reason to even do it because you. I mean, you, you can't. You can't. You can't put money back in a bank account or anything to make any interest off of it. Right. So you're better off to stick it in a box in your closet. Well, the one thing about the box in the closet gimmick is, is that that, that since they're printing more money, it's becoming worth. Less. Less. Right. So that box of just to say, man, you've got a thousand dollars stuck back in your sock drawer somewhere. Well, if you made that thousand dollars back in 2019, you know, it's 2021. It's not worth a thousand dollars like it used to be. It's worth like 850 or 700 or whatever it is. I mean, it's, it's taken a significant hit. So you want to buy things. You want to have assets, you know, whether you buy, go to the pawn shop, just say, for example, just say that just, you know, sticking with a thousand dollars, you got an extra thousand dollars. It's in your sock drawer, you know. Well, you realize that since you've been doing your homework and watching the pot, watching all this stuff and figuring it out, that sooner or later this this thousand dollars is going to lose value. Well, what traditionally has held value, of course, things like land, 
you know, houses, gold and silver, you know, assets, things that you can put your fingers on. Well, if you go to the pawn shop, just say, for example, quick access to small town USA guys, you got your thousand dollars and you go to the pawn shop and you go, hey, look, man, I, I want to see what kind of silver you have, you know, and they'll, they'll go, OK, let's go over here to this counter. Here's all my silver dollars. I'll sell them to you for 30 bucks a piece. Great. I'll take 33 of them. So you give me a thousand dollars, you take 33 ounces of silver home. And in a year, now, all of a sudden, since inflation has hit, your $1,000, instead of it sitting in your sock drawer, is where it would be worth, like, say, $750 or $800, is now worth, like, eighteen or $1,900. Because now, since inflation is here, your precious metals are going to go up. Right. You know, you're going to be, it's going to, now you can take it back to the pawn shop and go, here, man, I want to cash them out. I want to sell them to you. And he's not going to give you 33 bucks, you know piece for him he's gonna give you like 18 or 19 but you know i mean whatever i mean i'm sorry i may, I may have the numbers turned around i mean i mean even if you take a look back to the pawn shop just took them to people who collect silver yeah there's a lot of people I mean, out there they're <clears throat> thinking the same thing you are they're looking for things put it in the advertiser or put it on facebook or whatever they do you know say hey i got a hundred gold of silver coins i want to sell you're going to come out with a profit you're going to come out with more money than you would have had if it was stuck in a sock drawer yeah, even a spot price that's it. You know, even if it's spot price, you're going to get more than you out of the cash. And see, quantitative easing has been used throughout history. Um, uh, the Weimar Republic, after World War One, when Germany had, had all these had all all of these uh, restrictions placed on them and everything, people were bailing the the uh, the German mark, using it for kindling. Yeah, uh, they used. Uh, Quantitative easing in, I don't want to get it wrong. I think it was it was in Zimbabwe. They used quantitative easing so much, they had to print $1 trillion bills. That's amazing. I've literally seen somewhere like in these history photos of people that have wheelbarrow full of, of money. currency. Yeah. They're, they're Pouring it on the fire. Yeah. Stay warm. They had nothing else. That's that's incredible. See, I mean, every fiat currency has always failed. That's the reason why your your precious metals are always going to be more valuable than your than your currency. You know, for somebody that's not interested in the stock market or not, you know, you know, just whatever, you just you just not you just think, hey, man, I don't really, I'm not interested in the stock market. You know, you can always go and buy scrap metal, or something. You know, buy a gun. You could buy a gun. There you go. I mean, there's an investment somewhere that your money is going to work ammo. Yes. There's, I actually talked to a guy this week who went back uh, like in November. He saw the things that were coming. He said, man, you know, to himself, if if Trump doesn't win, then I know ammo is going to be very scarce. So he went and spent $2,000 and <laughs> went and bought, you know, every box of 22, 9-millimeter, 40, 38s, 203s, 3030s, all the, all the cartridges, you know, the, uh, the bullets that he could find of every, every, everywhere. He spent his two, his two grand on these boxes or whatever and went and left them, you know, at his house under his bed or whatever. Now he's like tripling his money selling them on oh, yeah. Facebook or whatever. You know, there was a big um – God, I guess 2010. Remember when gold just spiked all of a sudden? Just out of nowhere. Everybody what? got gold fever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then back in, when did, I, when did I work with guns? 2013 or 14, nobody could find 22. 
because they had closed a wouldn't they couldn't find it. People were buying it up because right. they closed like the last one of the last lead manufacturers in the country. They're going to start importing lead. And people started trying to grab up the price for twenty twos went twenty two twenty two rounds went through the friggin' roof. And it wasn't because they didn't have any. It was just that supply couldn't meet the demand for it. And these guys started selling them back and forth to each other at an exorbitant amount. Mm-hmm. We would get some in. I had a list of people on a waiting list to get twenty two ammo. I don't know why the hell they wanted twenty two ammo for, because you really can't kill anything with a twenty two. Uh besides a maybe a squirrel or a rabbit. It's just the cheapest. It's just, it, it, it was cheap until these guys jacked the price up. I can get nine millimeter and forty the cheaper, almost a forty. You can almost get forty five as cheap as you could twenty twos. I bought a gun from you. You bought a couple of guns from I did, me. Yeah, <laughs> Judd bought a couple of guns from me. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, but anyway, the whole point was I pulled my money out. I mean, I'm not saying that the end is near or that it's going to all fall apart or anything. It's just right now after doing a lot of stuff, seeing a lot of things um, with them getting ready to pass another stimulus check. Man, it's, it's really, really creeping me out. Um, there's been talk of starting like a, um, we're all going to have a federal bank account through the fed where instead of getting like a check and in, deposited into your bank account, they're going to try to make it a federal account with, with, the Federal Reserve. I said they're going to start issuing all your tax returns and everything else. I don't care for that myself. I really have it in my personal bank account. Um, you accept an application, Jet Canada? <laughs> <laughs> Go south, man. It's too cold up there. <laughs> I'm for it. I'm going to fix a drink right quick. At least for me. What's the guy, what you got going on? Pull your mic up. Just talk, just talk about it in general if you want to. All right. So what's... What's so, going on at the, at the shop for you, John? Well, the it's not really my shop; it's all shops involved uh, in the in the state. Uh, House bill, whatever number, um, for the state is uh, well. You know, they're trying to do away with state income, right? All right. On top of uh, with them doing that, they're going impl- to they're gonna, they're trying to put in place uh, a retail tax. On I think everything but like food, right at nine point five percent. Jesus Christ! And on then on top of that, if you're a tobacco retailer, twenty five percent wholesale tax. Fuck. Yep. What? Including you know tobacco, anything vape related, all that. Twenty five. Twenty five percent wholesale tax. That was in the bill, whatever whatever the number was. I think it was fourteen thirty nine or whatever. Um, but yeah, so that's crazy. And it not only does it affect um, you know businesses like mine, but also farmers, mm. machinery, right? All, you know, land, all that. It, anything to anything touching tobacco. Yep. Yeah, oh, tobacco so. related. Um, as far as what I read, if you know, and I'm. Definitely not one for legal legalities as far as bills go, but uh, from what I've from what I've seen and what I've gathered, um, yeah, d- d- tobacco wholesale tax um, was going to be twenty five percent. Fuck, and Thank I don't. Maybe it's not for they may, they may not even touch cigarettes with it. 
but I think I'm pretty sure it was anything, a, any tobacco product. So, you know, like cotton and batteries. So cotton and batteries. Yeah, like when they, yeah. use, they use like batteries in their vape devices, they use cotton in the coils. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. So yeah. any of that stuff they're, they're going to, they're going to peg, peg you on. Oh, sure. Because it's, it's in, because it's, 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 uh, it's intended purpose is for vaping a, a nicotine liquid. So start selling some cotton balls from Walmart. <laughs> yeah. Here, it, vape it, some bleach. It's, it's just, it's, you know, I know I, I don't like to get political when, when some people aren't here who don't want to talk about politics, but the average person has got no chance of starting a business now when they're handed shit like that. Yeah. Or keeping one open. Or keep or it's yeah. one. It's one of the, like I said, it's going to destroy an entire industry. Yeah. It's just been hoop after hoop after hoop. That's and, nuts, man. You know. Is that on top of the regular, everything else? Or is that just like a, a 25% instead of like a 9% or 10% or whatever? That's on top. It's not, not 9.5% sales tax. Yeah. The, the 9.5% is just going to be the state retail tax. Instead of set. Ex- excluding of, excluding right. yeah, prepared right. food. Right. Oh, they're excluding that? Was it prepared food? Is that what you said? Restaurants? I, well, I, th- I I don't know if it I don't know if it's gonna affect that or not. And, and I, didn't, like I in, didn't read that. In part. New Hampshire they had like when I lived there they had well, the steel. They have they have no state sales tax, mm-hmm. but they have an eight percent tax on prepared foods so like McDonald's, steakhouse. If you go somewhere to eat and the food's cooked for you, it's eight percent. Anything else, there's no tax on. So I didn't know if they might. I don't know. I don't know about prepared the prepared food is seven percent or uh, not. That that might just be for you know going out and buying a loaf of bread. True. Uh, but yeah, the twenty five percent wholesale tax is, doesn't have anything to do with the nine point five. Right. It's a it's a completely it's separate ju- tax. just for, for tobacco related businesses. Right. That's so they're going to get that. They're going to get the wholesale tax. The state will collect the wholesale tax. I believe that's how that's going to work. Plus the nine point five percent retail tax. Just bringing more businesses in, into the state, I guess you know. Yeah. So, and you're, the, so you're basically at forty five percent tax. No. No. Just twenty five percent. Twenty five percent wholesale tax. Yeah. And then it's gonna be on top. Then you have like ad valerum tax. I'm sure from from the from the county or the city. I don't know how that's going to work out. I haven't seen anything that. Well, I mean, the bill's not even. It's it's alive. It's very alive. It hadn't um, hadn't passed through. Is it still in committee, or is it on the floor to be voted on? It passed on? the vote, um, but I didn't. I haven't seen any updates on where it is now. Um, wow. It is still very alive, though, unless they've already. That's nuts, passed man. It. That's nuts. That's almost bullying. Sure, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, that's like. Yeah. Well, the hey, thing I'm is, take they, your lunch money. they want people smoking because they get more tax money that way. On top of you know the already huge amount of money states get from uh, the the settlement agreement made by tobacco companies back in 1997. Um, so, uh, so why why would they be working towards eliminating it? I mean, because that's obviously what they're trying to do. Well, they're trying to eliminate the competition or so they're trying to whittle sure. it down. Yeah. Well. You know, when if you're not when people switch, you know, from 
smoking to vaping or however they decide to quit, those tobacco companies lose a ton of money. Right. So in them losing that kind of money, all the states lose money as well because all the states signed up for that settlement agreement to keep people from suing the tobacco companies from for dying and getting, you know, incurable diseases. Um, and they've been paying it out ever since, you know, 1998. I, I believe 1998 was the first payments that went out. And, I mean, states are making billions, yeah. billions of dollars on that tax money. I was in the cigarette industry for a while. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. You worked for Philip Morris. Philip Morris, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was there for a few years. And, yeah. and matter of fact, man, I lost my job because all the the uh, uh, settlement money. Settle, well, all the the lawsuits had just started. This was about four years before they started making payments. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, no, it was maybe I don't know, maybe a couple of years, maybe a year. Uh, yeah, it's more like a year, year or so, whatever it was. Right. But uh, yeah, that's golly. That's just insane, man. Right. Well, well it's, it's not just the tobacco companies that lose money when that happened. You know, when when <coughs> when when vaping was you know first came into the game in in the states, it was a small thing. You right. know, nobody was nobody. It wasn't on anybody's radar. It was the smallest of hobbies to get into. Right. You know, five six years later, you know, two thousand twelve, two thousand fourteen, um, you know, you saw a, a huge spike. You know, it was growing double every year. And then, you know, on, you know, with vaping growing that, that fast, that was taking billions of dollars away from these tobacco companies. So the payments to special interest groups started getting smaller, like Campaign for Tobacco Free Kids, uh, Truth Initiative, uh, PAVE, which is Parents Against Vaping. Um, they, they get a cut of that. And if they're, you know, they, they don't get, they, they don't get the money they were getting. Uh, they start asking questions like, Hey, where's our paycheck? Right. And the tobacco company is like, well, we, you know, we're, we don't have it. So they have to kill us basically. Right. They gotta, they gotta find the head of the monster and take it out. And that's what they've been trying to do with propaganda and all this stuff for, for years now, ever since I got into it. You know, back in, you know, when I opened the shop in 2015, it's been nothing but just red tape after red tape through these, you know, special interest groups mm. because they can, they've got money, they've got big money backing them. They've got tobacco money. They've got pharmaceutical companies backing them. They've got people like Bloomberg mm. who donated, I don't know, God, it was like $160 million to campaign Jesus for tobacco free kids to start a, a campaign against vaping. Uh, so it's, dude, it's a nightmare. You got, you got billionaires backing these people that have no scientific proof of anything. They just go, they got lobbyists. Here you go. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's got a lot of money and they just feel like, Hey, I can just throw it around and feel good about yourself yeah. about, you know, Hey man, I'm supporting this or that. Yeah. You got, I mean, tobacco is one of the oldest crops grown in this country since, since, you know, native American times. Yeah. Uh, it, it was a. It's probably the anchor of, of a lot of the wealth. Oh, yeah, cotton and mm-hmm. tobacco, dude. Especially like in our area, that's all it was was, was cotton and tobacco. Um, it's catfish. Catfish. <laughs> <laughs> Timber, you know, I mean. Right. Yeah. How, 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 many, how, many, how many small 
um, small boom towns popped up in the 18, 1700s or whatever, just simply to be timber camps. You know, they would, they would come in, they would, they would run a train line to the camp. Town would blow up real big. They cut all the timber down. That's before they started worrying about deforestation or anything else. Let all the timber up, and overnight the camp would just shut down and it'd be gone. You know, um, yeah, I mean, there's so much old money still in this area <clears throat> on just on cotton alone. You know, their families had done it, you know, from the time they landed here, you know, up until modernization. Um, I dated a girl in, in high school and her dad farmed cotton. And dude, he leased thousands of acres every year. Um, and it was just white, or, or it was either cotton or soybeans or corn. And of course, he wrote, did the you know the the field rotation and everything. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, that's a lot of work. That's that's probably more work than I'm I'm cool with. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, old school farming. No, mule. No, I'm out. I mean, that's what my my like my great grandfather. That's he was a sharecropper. I mean, they didn't have you know the idea that you know everybody in the South comes from money. You know, it ain't true. Um, I mean, my great grandfather was a sharecropper, which means he lived as a tenant on the land, and he had to farm this entire plot of land for, for some landowner, he got a fraction of a, of a fraction of what was grown to sell for himself. The rest of it went to the guy who owned the land. You know, it was almost like an, like a, he was like an indentured servant, you know, just, just a slot above being, being a slave. He was a slave to the landowner, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, that's how the vast majority of, uh, you know, people think people from the South all, you know, their descendants from families with big plantations who sat on the porch and, 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 you know, twisted up their mustache, you know, and smoked pipes and stuff, you mustache. know, <laughs> but I mean, the vast majority of people from the South didn't have anything. It's the same as it is now. It's the 99% and the 1%, you know, and I mean, there's plenty of poor white folks in the South too. There's a lot of them. Plenty. And, um, I mean, my, my grandfather left here, went up North, started a trucking company came back down here and, and, and bought land started farming himself, but he owned the land this time, you know, and that's, that's what he did for a long time. The sixties and seventies grew cotton and, and, and raised hogs. You know, that's, that's what my stock comes from a bunch of hog farmers. It's good stuff though. I mean, you know, that's anchoring history around this place, you know? Yeah. Now you got meth plantations. Yeah. Pl- <laughs> <laughs> I got a uh, good article here for y'all. Um, out of St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, police in St. Louis, Missouri are searching for a funeral home van that was stolen Thursday with a body of an adult female inside. The white cargo van was stolen after the driver stopped at a convenience store shortly after 10 a.m., according to the police. The van was left unattended and running. Neither the van belonging to the William C. Harris Funeral Home, nor the body have been recovered, police said. 
Police are looking for a man and woman seen in the surveillance video inside the convenience store who they say might have additional information. The funeral home told CNN it did not have a comment on the stolen van or the body at this time. God, that's some sick fuckers, man. <laughs> well, the question is, do you think they knew it had the body in there? Of course, man. They're looking for a threesome. <laughs> I mean, they're sick fucks, man. I think it was planned out, huh? It planned all the way. They yeah. wanted that Rolex back. That's yeah. what it was. <laughs> you don't just that dude was that, that dude shit. was buried with some bling. Or about uh, it, it was a female uh, body. Well, either way, dude, <laughs> Rolex. <laughs> oh man, yeah. When I read that, I was like, "Man, it's kind of suspicious that uh, that they just happened to to get a van that had a female body in the back of it. So, something is something's going on with that one. Either way, man, that's bad. Yeah. I mean, get, all right, so just the normal, you know." Hey, let's go steal a van type thinking, I'm assuming, would be like, hey, that van's running, let's go. And then all of a sudden, 10 miles down the road, man, you hear something rattling around in the back. <laughs> and then you look back and you're like, cool, what's a dead body, man? Well, I mean, you gotta Dude. you gotta imagine the van has probably got branding on the side of it because it comes from a funeral home. That's even a worse idea. Exactly. So that's what I'm saying. They've gotta know that there was had some cargo straight, in there. Straight off the meth plantation, <laughs> man. <laughs> straight, they're looking for an escape route. They don't care what the vehicle is or who's in it. I got another one here for you that I think y'all both find quite amusing. Um, <laughs> I don't know if Jet's going to be able to hold himself together for this one. Um, I'll try. A rooster that participates in Civil War reenactments was reunited with its owner, after going missing in the parking lot of a Cracker Barrel restaurant in Alabama, that's a hell. That's a hell of a start, ain't it? Yeah, yeah. What? Thomas Thomas Ramsey, eighteen, founder of the Money Rabbit Mess Military Reenactment Group, said he started bringing what a his name. <laughs> the Muddy Rabbits man. Uh, the Muddy Rabbits Mess Military Reenactment Group said he started bringing his pet rooster Peep along on Civil War reenactments after learning about soldiers who kept similar pets on the front lines. Ramsey said he and his group, including Peep, were on their way back to Mississippi after, reenact- after a reenactment event in Spring Hill, Tennessee, when they stopped at a Cracker Barrel in Coleman, Alabama. He said Peep was, was tied to the bed of the pickup truck after a friend went out to check on the vehicle after about an hour and discovered Peep was gone. Quote, I went back into the Cracker Barrel, and it was very hard for me to say this with a straight face, even though I was panicking. Do you have a camera in the parking lot? I think someone stole my chicken, Ramsey recalled to the Coleman Times. A fellow diner overheard the question and told Ramsey that Peep had been spotted wandering loose in the parking lot. Ramsey, his friends, and Coleman Animal Patrol Officer Cooper Harris searched the area for Peep, but eventually the group had to get back on the road to Mississippi. Ramsey posted in multiple Facebook groups about his missing pet. And when he was nearly back in Mississippi, he learned Peep had returned to the Cracker Barrel parking lot and was safely captured. John Watson, a local farmer who had followed the search on Facebook, volunteered to drive Peep to Birmingham, where the chicken and the owner were, of course, reunited. I believe in paying it forward, Watson said. God's blessed my family so much throughout the years. I believe we should be kind to our fellow man. Yes, it was just a chicken. 
but it was his, and he clearly cared for it. All right, I'm just going to say right now, man, if that story was mine, the title of that son of a bitch would be Man Reunited with His Cock. <laughs> <laughs> Have to be. Have to be. <laughs> man lost his cock at Cracker Barrel. Reunited in Birmingham. That's unbelievable. <laughs> the whole time I'm thinking, man, there's got to be a cock joke in there, man. You're fixing a mate. Nope, nope. But there wasn't. It was a real story. Sir, I am a, I'm a... I'm a revered journalist now. hundred <laughs> percent. I've got one of the, one of the yeah, top yeah. 10,000 podcasts in the world. <laughs> I, I, had, I had the cock Rolodex going in. The yeah, you did too. Too. I was thinking, yeah, that's a joke. That's yeah. a joke. Yeah. There, that's a good one. Man lost his cock and <laughs> carrot cracker barrel served up on the Wednesday lunch special. <laughs> you know, they have that famous fried chicken there at the cracker barrel. Uh, you know, we have made great strides in the South. To not Have look, we, to not look like absolute fools. When but, you told me, man, it was tied to the bumper of a truck. I thought for a second, I was like, "This ain't going good, man." This, he's fixing to say he took a, a lap, man, no. in the parking lot, man. He came back, that with nothing but a head hanging. Took a beating. <laughs> God, <laughs> can't trust y'all. You know, we every time the South does something different. Some, Skin up cock found in the parking lot. <laughs> Apparel. <laughs> uh, no, every time that anything happens to make the South somewhat, somewhat less dumb, some jackass from Mississippi loses his chicken in Alabama. You know what I mean? It's the muddy cocks, man. I mean, muddy are, rabbits. Muddy rabbits. That's <laughs> you know, everybody's woke up with a muddy cock. Come on now. I mean, <laughs> speak for yourself. Damn. Just, just kidding. <laughs> Sure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my oh, goodness. Man. Who brought the vodka? That, that was man, you. That you was, brought the I kept my rum to myself. I'm telling you, man. That was a bad idea. <clears throat> Are you all familiar with Trevor Trevor Bauer, the pitcher in the major leagues? Trevor Bauer signed a, a new uh, contract this month. You may want to guess for how long and for how much. Who's he play with? Plays for the Dodgers. Oh, okay. I'll say a. Now, remember, they just won the World Series. Yeah. I'll say. And he's uh, a former Cy Young winner. Ooh, three years, a quarter of a billion. 750 million, you think? No, a quarter. I'll say 250 million. Oh, 250 million. Jake, you want to take, a, take a stab at it? That's about 80 million a year. I, I don't have a guess, man. <clears throat> I'm so out of the loop. Three on years. You got that right. Uh, 102 million. 102. Yeah. I guess, um, I, took, I guess 250. Three years? Three years. Three years, $102 million. Uh, Trevor Bauer signed a three-year, $102 million contract with Los Angeles, Los Angeles Dodgers, bringing the reigning Cy Young Award winner to the reigning World Series winners for just a second time in baseball history. Bauer, who won the 2020 National League Cy Young with the Reds, gets $40 million in 2021 and $45 million in 2022, both single-season salary records, with opt-out clauses for each of his first two seasons, followed by a $17 million 2023 season. The right-hander had a National League best 1.73 ERA and only 11 starts with the Reds in 2020, with 100 strikeouts against only 17 walks in 73 innings, becoming the first Red pitcher to win the Cy Young Award. 
30-year-old Bauer joins a Dodger deep rotation that also includes three-time Cy Young winner Clayton Kershaw and Walker Bauer, plus former Cy Young award winner David Price and Julio Uris, in addition to Dusty May and Tony Gonsolin. Did you say that guy's 30? Oh, Bauer? Yeah, Bauer's 30. 30 years old. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Bauer returns to Los Angeles where he played college baseball at UCLA before getting drafted third overall at, uh, by Arizona in 2011 and relatively nearby at Hart High School in Santa Clarita. So, yeah, Bauer set a record for most paid in a single season. Yeah, I think I could live on on uh, 45, or 40 million. Yeah, 40, then 45. Plus, he gets opt-out clauses. After each of the first two seasons, which means he has he has the option to say, I'm not digging this, I'm gone. Somebody offers him twice that much. Well, the thing is, most of the time with these big contracts, the club gets the clause where they can say, You're not you're not operating for us. Right. We're sending you we, you can, we're we're cutting you off. But he negotiated this where not only he gets the payday, he also gets the opt out clause. Wow. Um yeah, he's a I think he's the same guy, if I'm not mistaken. God, there was some – I forgot. I think it was Trevor Bauer. I could be totally wrong. He was – um. he, in one game for three innings, he increased the rotation of his curveball and then tweeted about it saying he knew he was doing it because he was using a special substance. And he says, this isn't something that I just I just came up with. Most pitchers are using this. I'm just letting y'all know. So for like two or three innings, he used a substance to increase the rotation of, of his curveball, where it can be tracked. You could see how much how much more the ball was rotating, and then the, the rest of the game he didn't use it anymore and went back to normal. You know, I think I've seen a video um, on TikTok. I think of uh, this guy with a camera. Directly behind him. And you can see the bend of the curveball. And a, and, a, and a camera also pointing like where the umpire mm-hmm. or the catcher. The, the 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 way this ball, if it's the same, if it's the same. Now Clayton Kershaw, the guy he's be playing with, has got what, one of the meanest curveballs in the majors. It, you, could, you can see the, the sharp bend at the very end. It's, it's insane. I'll tell you right now, the speed, um, it's scary. Oh it yeah, would be, it would be scary for me to be standing there to try to think I'm fixing to swing a bat and hit that thing. I mean, it's. I mean, when, I mean, when you could hear, you know, oh, man, that's that's power. There's a guy. His name is his last name is Chapman, Arondis Chapman. Uh, he, I think he has got the fastest uh, clocked fastball in the major leagues now. He uh, on. A reg on a regular night, he'll throw it 101, 103. You know, he can get kind of wild with it. You're talking about standing in the box waiting for a ball to come towards you, and it could be, you know, and to be able to throw triple digits and then throw a changeup that's 73 by keeping guys off balance, stuff like that. It's insane. The, the, the guy I used to love watching the most pitch was Tim Wakefield. He played for the Red Sox, and he was like one of the few knuckleballers there was left. He would grip it when he throw it had no rotation. It would just go every which way. 
him and that's Art, a crazy look. Oh yeah, well see he would throw his and he would be like sixty five miles an hour. Seven, it's a super slow moving pitch, but it's got all kinds of movement to it. Then you have guys like R. A. Dickey, who was a knuckleballer. He would throw a knuckleball eighty five miles an hour. <laughs> so not only is it going all over the place, it's coming at you speed of a changeup. I think the, I think the fastest one they clocked of his was like eighty four, eighty five miles an hour. That's crazy. So he, he could he was throwing a knuckleball, but he could throw it sixty five. He could throw it sixty eight. He could throw it seventy five. He could throw it eighty three. So not only was it a knuckleball, he was also varying the speeds of it. So if you, if you happen to catch it, you still know how fast it's going to be going to when it gets to you. You know. No doubt. Oh man, what's it, been what's as, going? as kids, man? We used to play wiffle ball. Oh yeah, you know. And uh, my my first brother, he could throw a knuckleball wiffle ball. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's probably fifteen, twenty, I don't know, twenty five feet from from you. And watching that ball move, I mean, it was it looked it, like a strobe light. <laughs> it really did, yeah. yeah. It really did. And I mean, he could hum it. Yeah. You know, now I could I could push up, I could push a knuckleball, wiffle ball out, but it would be real slow because I'd pretty mm. much be pushing it. He could throw it. You know, he could just let his arm just move, just let it go right as the point, and the ball wouldn't move. Mm. I mean, the you could see the the slots in the wiffle ball as it as it moved coming towards you and you're just all, you know, I'm, I'm moving my head thinking, okay. I used to, I used to love wiffle ball. That was, yeah. that was fun stuff. It was a blast. Yeah. We used to play it in the gym during PE. If it was raining outside. Now you can really throw a good curveball with a wiffle ball. Oh, dude. Absolutely. You know, that's a, we had a kid in school. He would throw a screw ball with a wiffle ball. So, you know, when you throw, if you're throwing right handed, you throw right-handed, it's going to break down and to the left. Well, the screw ball is the same thing as a curve ball, only it, it breaks towards your throwing hand. So when he would throw this ball, instead of curve, when he would get to you, instead of curving, you know, out, down, you know, away from him, it was coming back toward, yeah. if you're in the right-hand box, it's coming back towards you. So, you know, you're trying to, of course, it's a wiffle ball, it's not going to hurt you, but you're dancing, trying not to get hit, you know. But <laughs> he would throw it, and it would just be coming, screaming at you, and then just drop, drop down at your feet. Uh-huh. It was insane. Um Got some international news here for you. Headline is 30 Taliban militants killed in explosion during a bomb making class. During a bomb making class. They were taking a class and blew up all 30 of them. At least 30 Taliban Taliban militants have died in Afghanistan after they blew themselves up during a bomb making class. The Kamara Press news agency said the fighters died when improvised explosive devices or IEDs they were learning to construct exploded inside a mosque, Quote, quoting a release from the Afghan Army's 209th Shigan Corps, the blast happened on Saturday morning at a mosque in the village. I'm not going to try to pronounce. Uh, the fighters included six foreign nationals. The bodies of six of six foreigners could be identified because of the extent of the damage caused by the explosion, the Army statement revealed. The militants had gathered to learn techniques for making bombs and IEDs for the six with the six foreigners, who were or from the six foreigners who were reportedly considered experts in the subject. Well, I think we fixed that, didn't we? They weren't too great at it. <laughs> Mr. Carter, Mr. Carter. <laughs> I can make that bomb. You know, I, I knew some some kids in school that they were pretty damn good at making <laughs> making pop bombs. They were <laughs> welding them together at Votech class. I mean, just going to work. 
That's crazy. <laughs> Man, I mean. Going fishing tomorrow. <laughs> oh, man. But you got 30 people that are interested in figuring it out. They figured it out all right. No, I'm just saying. I mean, you know, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, think of how many classes there are with 30 people in it. Well, I mean, they trying to yeah, figure out how to make bombs and, the, I mean, dead gun. People who were teaching it were, were, weren't even from there. So there were six foreign nationals that were teaching the class. So there were people from somewhere else in the world who came there to teach these people how to build the bomb. Oh, man. That's just, where's the love? Exactly. <laughs> Ain't nobody loving each other, man, if you think about how to build a bomb. Did you hear about that girl who's trying to get home? She had she had fled her home in in England to be, to become a bride to one of these ISIS fighters, and now she's wanting to come home. And England's like, no, no. <laughs> you you. She fled home when she was like fifteen or sixteen to go. go oh, is this a year or two ago? No, this is she's she's still trying still trying to come home now. Oh, she left like four or five years ago when she was fifteen or sixteen, and flew to Syria to, to marry one of these ISIS fighters, and now she's realizing you know it ain't all. Sunshine and gravy when you when you have to wear a burqa all day, you know. I mean, what do you expect? You're going to go marry a guy who is trying to kill other people through terrorist actions. What do you think? How do you think he's going to treat you? Yeah, yeah. You just got to think how that somebody smells too. <laughs> I mean, you know, how much hygiene's that dude got? That hairy some bitch man wearing a sheet all day. You got to know he stinks. He's like, come on, bro. Go wash it. I'm glad we don't broadcast on regular radio. <laughs> this is great. We can say whatever the fuck we want on here. I'm just thinking. I'm just putting it in a different perspective. Same, just terrorist guy. I mean, he's, he's still killing motherfuckers. I'm just oh, yeah, he's a sack of shit. Yeah, yeah, he stinks like a sack of shit. <laughs> you got to think. Um, you touched earlier about you used to work for Philip Morris. Uh, what was it like working there? Well, um, I mean, I had, a, I had a really, really good job. Uh, I was a sales rep. I had uh, somewhere it kind of fluctuated a little bit between 140 and 150 accounts. And um, part of my job was to go and sell in these contracts where the store would agree to uh, keep a certain amount of signage and racks and and buy a certain volume of cartons. And uh, there's quite a few other things. And then they would receive a check monthly or quarterly, however they were set up. You know, and part of my job was to go in and put in whatever it was that I sold them, you know, or whatever they agreed to, you know, whatever the rack, the rags or the signage or whatever. Um, way back, I mean, if you're old enough to remember whenever you'd go into a convenience store, there used to be a uh, an open sign or a sign that would give like store hours. Right. And a lot of times it would have a, you know, a uh, like a Marlboro, Marlboro or Winston or whoever the whoever it was, you know, they were advertising for. And then whenever you went into the uh, convenience store, the cigarettes were in an overhead compartment over the cashier's head, you know, and you say, hey, I want a pack of Marlboro Reds in a box. And he would reach up, grab one, lay it on the counter. You'd give him your 250 and that was the, that. That was that. 250. Well, I remember those days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, part of my part of my job was couponing and um, used to remember, like if you're old enough to remember, you could buy like a carton of cigarettes and get like a, a lighter or you could get a flashlight or a, or a sweatshirt or, or something. I mean, they'd give you something or there was a lot of times where you would buy two packs of cigarettes instead of one and get a free lighter or a flashlight or something. You know, so I had all the I had all the 
the, swag, the swag, you know, and of course, man, I tell you, I mean, I, I had access to, of course, all the company information and stuff. So before, like two months before a program would roll out, you know, we'd be saying, okay, this is what's going on in the program, in the program we're going to be rolling out and, and these are going to be the parameters and stuff. And this is what the consumer will get. Well, um, one of the programs were, uh, where each pack of Marlboro cigarettes used to have like five miles. Right. Marlboro miles. Barcode, you know, and you would collect your Marlboro miles. They had a little catalog and you could, you could trade your miles in for stuff out of the catalog. Well, I figured I, I knew about it a couple of months beforehand. So they would already have all these miles out there because they wanted to have that out there, you know, whenever they came out with saying, Hey man, now you can trade in your Marlboro miles for a sleeping bag or a whatever. And, uh, or a t-shirt or a lighter or whatever. And, uh, and, but they already had to start pumping them out right. so that whenever they announced the program, they wouldn't have to start pumping them out then. And then it'd be two months later and then everybody got at them. So now they wanted to get them out there. Then they broke, then they put the program out. Well, I knew about it beforehand. So I told my buddies, Hey, every time you smoke a pack of cigarettes, man, cut those little things out and save them. Cause they're going to be worth something soon. So some of my friends, uh, one one guy in particular, insider trading, insider, <laughs> insider information. They wanted to trade, but uh, one of my buddies, um, he would even go around to one of the local bars whenever we were going to bars back then, you know, and, and partying uh, quite a bit. He would go around and pick the packs of cigarettes out of the trash can or off the table or whatever, and rip the little five mile gimmick off, stick them in his pocket. He actually had enough to. Uh, they had a pool table. You could get, it had like tw- you had to get like twenty five thousand miles <laughs> to, but they had like ten pool tables that they were going to give away, like these really nice, super super nice pool table, super high end, and uh, and and if you had the twenty five thousand miles, you could send it in, and then you would be in the drawing for these ten pool tables. Well, he got into the drawing, didn't win one of the tools, so they gave him. They were like, okay, here's your twenty five thousand miles back. Basically, you can have three of everything in the catalog, catalog. basically. <laughs> so he got tons of swag. I mean, like all sorts yeah, of cool stuff. Yeah, fitted his whole closet with Marlboro Miles. Oh, <laughs> Matter of fact, we had uh, we had one of his birthday parties uh, out behind his mama's house. We had a big bonfire. Of course, the stereo was blasting. Everybody had coolers out. And it was just a, you know, get out on the back of your truck and hang out type afternoon. There was a volleyball court set up. So there was people outside just doing stuff all day. <laughs> And uh, part of he had so much stuff that he had taken a box of like beach towels and lighters and flashlights and all sorts of like key rings and bottle openers and everything, anything that could put Marlboro on. He had like a basket of it. He was just (laughs) like, man, I got too much of it. So I'm going to give away on my birthday. I'm going to give everybody until I can give away all this stuff. I'm going to give other people gifts. So it was it was so cool because uh, of course we're just in the middle of the night, man. We're just lit up, <laughs> lit up. Okay, then he comes out and he's like, "Dog, we call him Dog." He's like, "Hey, man, we're gonna give away some stuff." And all of a sudden, man, now you've got like these forty or fifty people that are out here at this tailgate and bonfire party. Now you've really got their attention, you know? Because like, hey, man, I want one of those beach towels because they were nice beach towels. I mean, they were like a you know. Big seven foot, you know, real. I mean, it's nice. 
Anyway, uh, so we started having like everybody put their name and number on a thing and that kind of got a raffle. raffle. <laughs> yeah, in the middle of a birthday party, man, in the middle of the night, and everybody was trashed. And it was really cool because there was a lot of folks there that didn't normally come, but they knew it was a birthday party and it was kind of a tailgating gimmick. So a lot of those people, they're like, well, heck, I'm coming back next time, man. I want all sorts of stuff at this party, you know? Another job I wanted you to talk about too, when you worked at the banana company, what happened when you worked at the banana company? <laughs> That was a pretty rugged job, man. I'll be honest with you. Those guys, they are, they work. Yeah. Um, so basically, the uh, it was a uh, a fruit and vegetable um, place that would get, you know, your um, produce, right, of all sorts, any and fruits and whatever. Uh, and we would go store to store, all the grocery stores and convenience stores and restaurants, anybody that might be able to sell a head of lettuce or a bag of onions or whatever, uh, or a box of bananas. Anyway, man, all this stuff would come into the warehouse where I was employed and I was just basically a grunt. Right. Um, I helped unload trucks, every single type of truck imaginable, man. It'd be a truckload of tomatoes, you know, big 18 wheeler or cabbage or bananas or you name it. And it came in, and and part of my job was to unload it, take it, uh, put it on pallets, uh, reorganize it, relocate it to the appropriate cooler or whatever. Um, After about lunchtime, when all the – of course, I mean, I had to be there at like 5.30 when the truck started coming in, unload till about lunchtime, take like a 30, 45-minute break, go eat, grab a burger or whatever, come back. And then um, the rest of the day, you know, you would be pulling orders or, or whatever. Um, sometimes uh, the the dock manager was like, "Hey, man, we need some. We need this guy's uh, helper didn't show, so I need you to ride with this guy." And you may ride all day long. And my job, being a grunt, was this guy would go in talk to the. Uh, convenience store or the grocery store or whatever, and he would go and look at their produce and see what they needed. And then he would give me a handwritten list and say, okay, go pull this, bring it in, and and set it back here so the guy can check it in. I was monkey boy. I'm telling you, man, <laughs> it was a – and I'm not a big guy. And I was, I was even smaller back then. And, oh, my gosh, man, it was just – it was terrible on my body. Right. Uh, I really enjoy the people. I enjoy the in and out. I enjoy the travel. I enjoyed the a lot of it. It's just that, you know, physically I'm just not built to move, uh, say, I don't know, seven or eight hundred pounds worth of merchandise on a truck, off a truck, seven or eight times a day. Right. You know, I mean, and, and then you know, during all that traveling, two or three hundred miles. Uh, it was just, it was just hard on me, you know, physically that job, but I did it, uh, for quite a while. I did it for almost two years. Well, I didn't know you were there that long. Yeah. I, did, I just knew you told me how you got fired from there. I did get, yeah, I did, <laughs> I did get fired, man, in a, in a very terrible way, but, um, <laughs> but it was, a I, I was trying to make, I was trying to raise some money, man, to go to college and that job paid the most. Mm. I, that I had come across up to that point in my life, you know, and I was, I was thinking, okay, it doesn't matter what this is for this amount of money. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And I did it. Yeah. Uh, do you want to tell the story of, uh, the fire. No, 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 of, of your class trip to Canada? Oh man, that's, uh, <laughs> you want to keep that one to yourself. I don't know, man. I mean, it's fantastic. A, it's, I love it. Well, there's, I mean, it was, it was, there was a lot of fun, but, um, yeah, we may do that another time. Yeah. <laughs> 
I will tell you about about getting fired, man, from the produce gimmick. Though. Do you want to go ahead? Oh, yeah, I'll tell you that. That um, I remember you telling me this story when I was working for you. And I was laughing the whole time. There, uh, we had, of course, you know, I'm a I'm a younger guy. And I'm trying to raise some money to go to college, so I'm college age, and I'm doing this crazy manual labor job. And uh, one of my best friends is working there. He actually got me the job uh, there. Uh, Starting, it was just started out just being like a summer job, and then I found out that I wasn't going to be able to go to school because I hadn't earned enough, I hadn't saved enough money, and then so it turned out it's like I, I worked a whole another year, and then that following summer, at the end of that summer, then I turned, I, I basically got fired. So anyway, man, that one night, uh, my buddy and I had gone out, and it was on a Friday night, and we just got. Sm- Mashed. After work, we'd worked all day on Friday, you know, unloading trucks and all this stuff. And and then so we're like, okay, man, we got to go get a shower and we're going to go out, go out for Friday night. And we're probably 20-ish, 22, something, somewhere in that rage range. And, of course, you have unlimited energy and you bounce back super quick, you know, at that age. And uh, so we had decided we're going to go out. Well, um, it was Friday was payday. <clears throat> both, excuse me. We both had a you know, a pocket full of money and, and we go out and we buy a fifth and we're riding around and we go to the local, uh, the local bar or whatever. And then before, uh, it gets to the end of the night where the alcohol sales cut off, we decided we're going to go pick up another fifth for whatever reason we thought we needed another one. So we go out and get another one and we're drinking gin. And, uh, so we stay out till about three <laughs> thirty. Just, just, he was like, oh, shit. yeah, yeah. So we stayed out until about 3.30, just hammering back, finished off this second bottle. God. All right. So now we've both got to be at work at like 5.30 to unload trucks. Well, whenever I go in to the house, he drops me off, and I tell him, I'm like, dude, I ain't going to work tomorrow, man. I'm calling in sick. So whenever I walk in, of course, my mom, man, she she would never go to, go to bed, bed until I came in, until everybody was home. Right. Well, whenever I came in, I, the first thing out of her mouth was, you're going to be hurting tomorrow when you go to work. And I go, oh, no, I'm calling in sick. She goes, oh, oh no, no, you're, you're not. not. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> nope, you're going. And I was like, ain't no way. It's so, a learn you. Yeah, well, I did go. And I was still very intoxicated, very drunk, man. I mean, when I got when I hit that parking lot at – I don't know, five thirty, six o'clock, maybe whatever it was. I was stumbling. I not only had like an hour of sleep, you know, after a, basically a full fifth of whiskey myself, you know, liquor gin. And uh, so anyway, man, I get I get two or three hours behind me uh, unloading, and by this time, man, I'm just wobbling, you know, just a lack of sleep and all this alcohol in my body and whatever. And I had this um, palette of boxes of bananas. Um, on it and it was probably about 16 cases of bananas on this pallet it was around 800 pounds and i had a hand jack a hand dolly um that i would go up and i i would uh, run the the dolly or the jack up underneath the uh, pallet and i would jack it up and it would move on the wheels and i would get it rolling to this to the room that the bananas were supposed to go in. Well, when I got to this place that I was supposed to take them off the truck and I would stop so the form the uh, foreman could count them, 
um, and you have this hand grip that you just punch and it drops the pallet to the floor and stops it. Okay. Well, I had so much momentum coming off this truck. I'm just hammered still basically. And I'm just like with all I can pulling this 800 pounds of bananas, I get off the truck and I'm coming into the warehouse and I realize pretty quick that I, all the bananas that have come off the truck so far are coming up behind me really quick. <laughs> And I, so I, I pinched the, the hand grip and it slides everything in here. It almost literally crushes my body in between this pallet of bananas and the pallet of bananas that I was pulling. And it just so happened that the foreman was standing right there and he was just like, whoa, okay. Um, slow down. But all he said, you know, he didn't say a whole lot. Let all the truck unloading, finish, or whatever. Uh, and it, it wasn't too much longer after that that I said, man, okay, I need to go to the bathroom. Well, the bathroom in this place had not been cleaned in about the 50 years that this building had been there. <laughs> it was black, concrete, sticky on the floor. The walls were nasty. It was a one, it was a single unit bathroom. And all I could think about was throwing up getting this stuff out of my body and, and, and I started and I just went and it just went and went and went and went. And of course, man, I wound up laying on the floor. It was the coolest place. It was the only, it felt good. And I was just so just like, Oh my gosh, this cold floor. It feels great. And so I basically was in the bathroom for about three hours. (laughs) Passed out. Passed out. Nobody came to like knock on the door or anything? If they did, I I don't know. So whenever I came to and realized that I'm on this bathroom floor at work and I had just woke up, I realized, oh, oh, this is not going to be good. So as I'm walking out of the bathroom, you know, there there wasn't a mirror in there. It was one of those silver metal mirrors. Right. That was in there, you know, like you see at a truck stop uh, or like a... Uh, can't be broken or anything. Can't be broken. It's yeah. just a metal reflection. So you can't really tell what you look like or what or anything's going on. You just realize there's a, a being that's Looking, reflecting back. <laughs> looks similar to you. <laughs> so as I'm coming out, of course, I have this feeling, man, I've got like one side of my face that's just kind of stuck straight up in the air with everything that came off the floor with it. <laughs> got the and, Chiquita Bukaki. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> And uh, the owner of the company, the old man, the oh no, old man that that owned the company, he was in his mid eighties. He was coming out, and uh, he, uh, he and just as I was coming out of the bathroom, he was coming out of the office, and he walks up to me and he's like, um, "Harpoon, I don't think we're going to need you anymore this summer." And he turned around, and walked off. I was like, "Oh, damn it! Come on, man." So I went home. I came back. I came back the next day because my dad, when I went home, was absolutely off the chain mad that I'd gotten fired because of my drinking and stupid stuff. He's like, "Boy, I don't care. You're gonna be up there tomorrow morning and at, reg- somebody. at regular work time, asking for your job back, and just hope that they're in a good mood and give it to you." course that didn't happen man they're like no we're, we don't need you yeah. thanks appreciate it so so the so the, the the quick version is is that when i went back home um like i said man my dad was he was he was really upset he told me he said well um 
okay, man, here, he reached into his pocket and he pulled out some money and he goes, go get the gas can and go fill it up and come back. So I knew that meant that I was fixing to get mowing, you know, getting a mow in the yard, which was fine. Um, so I mowed our yard. We had a big yard. It was a push mower. Uh, it was, I don't know, maybe two thirds of an acre, top to bottom. And uh, so that, you know, um, as soon as I got through with that, uh, he gave me some more money. He goes, go get the gas, go fill up the gas can and come back. So I come back. He goes, I want you to mow our neighbor's yard. So I got to mow in her yard. I'm thinking, oh, man, this, come on, man. Because, I mean, it's a push mower, and it was summer. And it was just, it sucked. And uh, and then he came, you know, of course, man, uh, my mom, and she's like, hey, man, you know, why don't you call him in for dinner? And, ah, nope. man, he's, he's good. So when I get through mowing her yard, he, uh, the next morning, uh, was like, here's some money. Go get some gas. And keep mowing until I come get you. So basically, I mowed for about six days. Oh, God. Like, it was it was the whole block or something? Oh, man. Everybody on our street, I crossed the street. I started mowing their yards and coming back. I I mean, and of course, I'd have to go and knock on and tell the people, hey, look, I'm going to be mowing your yard. And I'd have people say, I, I, it's okay. I got somebody mowing your yard. And I'm like, I'm sorry, ma'am, but my dad says I need to come mow your yard. So if you don't want me to mow your yard, you need to call my dad and tell him that you don't want me mowing your yard. Otherwise, I got to start mowing your yard. Now, this was in the 80s, okay? And and uh, my dad was a Marine, and he was, there wasn't no half-assing nothing, you know? I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't putting up with it. I wasn't working. So he was going to put me to work. Right. And... Um, and, of course, I had people that would call up and be like, hey, um, I have somebody mowing my yard. That's fine. You don't – I mean, it's fine. He can – you don't – he can come back home. Oh, no. He, they can – this will save you some money. You don't have to pay him. He's got nothing else to do. He's got nothing else to do. <laughs> I'm paying for the gas, you know. And so, literally, man, I mowed every yard down our street, up the next street. And as I touched the next block, that day it was about six days. It was almost a full week. I went to my dad and I told him, I said, look, I'll have a job tomorrow. If you, if you give me the day off, man, I'll go find a job. And, um, I just, I'm, I just don't want to mow anymore. Yeah. And uh, he's like, he's like, okay, if you got somewhere else to go tomorrow to work, that's fine. Otherwise you can go mow that day, man. I went and knocked on about 400 doors. <laughs> I'm not ju- every, every business that had, Lights on, I'd go in there, hey, I don't care, man, if I'm sweeping your floors. I need something to do. Right. Um, wound up that uh, I wound up getting a job with a with a seafood company, um, but they weren't going to open open for about two weeks. Um, they were still in the process of bringing uh, equipment in and things like that. And I said, I said, okay, man, well, just call me as soon as you can. So i start mowing for another couple of days. Oh, man. put you back at it. Oh, dude. Oh, if yeah, you had nowhere to be, you were yeah, mowing a yard. 100%, 100%. Oh, you got something going in a couple of weeks? Great. Cool. That's two weeks you'd be mowing yards. That's great. Fine. No, I mean, I, all this is a promise is so, is so true. Um, and uh, so uh, my dad had enclosed the carport um, or he had kind of he had, he had put a pool table and a desk and some things in there, but you could still at that point in time raise the carport door up to let all this fresh air in, you know. Um, so he and I he had a couch in there, and I'm sitting down uh, one day 
in between yards or whatever, eating lunch or whatever. And uh, he had asked me, he said, man, have you heard back from the seafood company? I was like, no, I haven't. And he goes, well, why don't you call them? I was like, okay, that's a great idea. So I went in there and called them. Of course, back then there was no cell phones. It was a landline. And, and I called them. And uh, they're like, well, you know, honestly, man, you know, we could probably use somebody to uh, help, you know, bring in the stock and bring in the stuff because we're going to start bringing in food, you know, here in the next few days. And then after that, we're going to get cleaned up and then open to the public. This was a place that was opening. It was just, right. just opening. It's like a market, like a seafood market. Market. And I was like, yes, I'll be there, man. Will you need it today? <laughs> need it? I mean, I could be there. Now? I mean, I, I can literally take a minutes. shower and come in. He's like, no, tomorrow's fine. No, no, really, I can come in today. Yeah, yeah. Bring the lawnmower. I'll, yeah. I'll bring it. <laughs> I show up with grass stains. Uh, I guarantee you, man. My tennis shoes had grass stains on them, but uh, so yeah, man, hundred percent, man. I, I I went up that next day. I was up there, you know, seven thirty in the morning. Of course, nobody even got there till nine. But you were, you were I, waiting. I was there waiting. Beat beat that lawnmower yeah, time. Absolutely. The well, I mean, that was the time. I mean, I was up mowing, you know, early. I mean, there was a lot of days that I was up. As soon as the right grass about, was dry. Well, right about the time in the sun. Yeah, yeah. Right as soon as the grass was dry. And, uh, yeah, it was yeah, – I was that, – that was – that taught me, man, that um, if you if you screw up, you know, if you do something, man, and you don't really take care of what you got, there is a consequence to pay for it. Oh, yeah. You know, and my dad wanted to make sure that I was – I was, he wasn't going to have, there was no way that I would be one of those kids that was going to lay in bed till 11 or whatever. No, I'm going to tell you something, man, that man has, I've, I've come to life in the mornings with a pot and a wooden spoon on top of my head. (laughs) Ding, 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 ding. Get up. Meet me outside. 15 minutes. No, he was like, get up, meet me outside. It wasn't on no 15 minutes. It was 15 <laughs> minutes, man. I was, I was already, I was way, way, way deep. Um, but if I knew, but if he knew that I came home like the night before, been drinking or something like that, he'd take a pot and a spoon and wake me up early. And it was always go mow the yard or cut the hedge or, or clean out this, clean out our metal building we got out back or something. I mean, it was, it was significant. There were so many days, so many mornings, man, where it would be like, 8.30 in the morning, and I'd already been out there for an hour or two sweating, man. Just well, it's already 90 sweating. degrees in the morning. Yeah. 100% humidity. humidity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm out there just, I can't hold it down anymore. I'm just out there puking my guts up from whatever it was I drank the night before. There was literally one day, man, where we had these two big, huge cedar hedges that were out in, on each side of our driveway in the house that I grew up in. And I was out there one day with the hedge clippers and trying to, trying to, you know, kind of round them down a little bit. And it was about nine o'clock in the morning and I was just out there hurling, just getting it out of my system. You know, I was just, I just sweated too much or something like that. And these people stopped, they were, they were passing by and they saw me yakking right there on the side of the road and they stopped and they came back and they were like, man, I mean, are you okay? Do we need to go get your parents? No, you do not need to go get <laughs> do my not parents. Tell them. Man, no, I'm good. Thank you, man. Thank you. Of course, I was white as a piece of paper. And uh, I was like, no, I'm good. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Because I didn't want it to be any, you know, I, I was good. Don't draw no attention no, to me. <laughs> man, let me get out here and cut these edges, man, and just get on with it. <laughs> Ain't no telling. You know, I mean, that's – you don't see kids mowing the yards nowadays. It's old school, man. You well, I mean, I mean, some kids used to start their own business out mowing yards and stuff. 
you know, and now you don't see it near as much as, as you used to. No, no, you're exactly right, man. There's so much of the younger generation that, that, um, I don't know if it's just because they don't have the entrepreneurial spirit or it's because, you know, they all want to be Twitch streamers playing video games, getting paid for it. You know what I mean? I mean, that's, I mean, you know, that's the, that's the pump and dump, you know, they, <laughs> they see people, man, their age, man, making money on it and they might want to do it, but you know, it wouldn't have mattered, man. If Hell, that I want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, sure. But it wouldn't have mattered if that stuff would have been going on back then or not, man. My folks were like, "Oh yeah, you're you're not going to stay in bed until you're going to be. If, if you stayed in bed till nine o'clock, it's because you had like the flu or you were there was something, you know. Yeah. It, even on Saturday mornings, man, you were up. You know, it was it was stuff going on. You know, now when we used to hang out, and watch TV, you know, watch cartoons in the morning or professional wrestling or whatever the Saturday morning. You know, it always had like a Three Stooges mixed in, and and Saturday mornings, man, was always cool. But by eleven or so, man, you're out there, man, behind a mower or you're doing something now. You know, when you talking about <laughs> talking about your dad spelling you and stuff, I remember one time, got it's back when me and Tinker first. Like, just first started seeing each other, you know, and uh, me and Jut had been went to the pub or something one night, and uh, we were sitting down on his balcony smoking a cigarette, talking. He's like, "Hey, what's what's today?" <laughs> I was like, "I think it's Sunday now." He's like, "Oh fuck!" I said, "What?" He's like, "My dad's gonna be here like in an hour to pick me up." It's when they were doing all that, all that construction on the coast when <laughs> Katrina hit. And we were both sauced. I mean, we were drunk. He's like, Dad's going to be here in an hour. I got to pack a bag because they were headed south. They would go down like a week at a time and yeah. come up on the weekends after Katrina hit. So I'm like, oh, fuck. You know, so he's in there like throwing clothes in a bag, drunk off his ass. So I'm like, good luck, man. So I see him go up there with his bag, get in the truck list. It's like yeah. five, four or five in the morning. Sauntering out there, yeah, drunk, drunk up to his tits. That was a long day. <laughs> Y'all hit the ground running once you got there, too. Huh? God, yeah, man. Well, I mean, when we first got there, it was basically we went directly to the job site, and uh, after that, around you know lunch or so, we already had reservations at the hotel they were allowing us to stay at because, of course, everything everything was shut down. Yeah. We were de- right, we were there two weeks after Katrina hit the coast, so wow, uh, we had very limited resources. So I had to go. I took everybody's luggage from the job site, unloaded it at the hotel, so it was there when everybody got off work and was ready to go back. So I'd go down, unload luggage, go back to the job site wherever it may be. We had three different job sites we were working while we were there. So got everything unloaded, checked into the hotel, and then went back to the job site, worked, and then until we had to get back through the guardrails, basically, the razor wire, um, and check in before curfew. They shut everything. I mean, everybody and, off oh, the yeah, streets everything. and everything. Yeah, there was National Guard. There was National Guard everywhere. Yeah. Like, if you were not in your station at the end of work, Wherever you know by martial by law. dark. Yeah. I mean, every, the, it, this they shut everything down. If you weren't in, you didn't get in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was cra- that was a crazy time. Um, and uh, just y'all were down there what a couple months, two or three months. 
Back and forth? I'm going to say a few months. Yeah. Yeah. I remember we would, seeing we some would of those go down. pictures you brought back, man. That yeah. Was- that was that was the most devastation I've ever seen in in a, in a city in my life. I mean, it some was crazy. I mean, some towns, two or three, on our coast were wiped off the map. Yeah. There, there was nothing left there. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one of them. I think the only thing that survived was half of the water tower. Everything else was it was just concrete slabs as far as you could see. Yeah. Just from the wind and the storm surge and everything else, it was it was a crazy time. Well, like, to see where they marked the storm surge level mm, on the lighthouse, right, was like how? Yeah, you know, I just, I got a whole new respect for the for the, for the sea. Oh yeah, <laughs> after that, we, I've said a million times. What somebody said, you know, what's <clears throat> talk about like life changing. Moments, things when you stop to reflect on something, you know. Oh, Mike sounds weird. Um, the first time we went to Nassau, uh, we got down there, and after like three days, we're like, "Oh yeah, hurricane's coming." You know, do y'all do y'all want to go home? I'm like, "No, we're we're used to that shit." You know, we, we get we get a few a year. You know, people were jumping like. And buses getting to the airport, trying to get out in time. I'm like, we're gonna, we'll ride it out. We'll, we'll be okay. You know, it's like category two or three. It was Hurricane Sandy. Ended up hitting the Bahamas and going all the way up the East Coast. It's going to hit New Jersey. That flooded New Jersey and New York so bad. There you go. Like, like where the subways were flooded and rats were, were coming out of the streets and everything. But like, no, we're, we're good. Well, like the night before, it could hit like at two in the morning. It hit Nassau. And the night before, they had already like they had like boarded up all the windows at the restaurants, the resort, and everything else. I was just chilling out on the beach, and uh, you could just see see it coming, the big wall cloud and everything, you know. And you sit there and look at that, and you think, "Man, that's a huge storm." But that storm is a speck compared to the ocean it's in. You know, when you sit and you you can sit and look at what the ocean is going to bring and the storm it's bringing with it, you know, we are so insignificant on Earth compared to the power, not only of that storm, but the storm, the the sea that's feeding it around it. You know, the the warm that warm water in the Gulf is like pouring gasoline on a fire to storms like that. And I think you know, Katrina, they said it was a once in a lifetime storm. God, I hope it is because a lot of people died. A lot of people lost their livelihood, lost their house, lost their business. Um, you know, in, in New Orleans and all those little small towns on the coast lost a lot. Oh, for sure. You know, we, uh, we went down there, I guess, probably three or four years ago um, down there. There was a couple of spots on there that used to have huge antebellum homes mm. on them. It's just an uh, empty spot. Yeah. yeah and they we, were level. Yeah. And we would get out and walk around. You know, we had been, uh, I'd been over to Louisiana um, and even over into Alabama and Florida, but the Mississippi coast I'd not been to in a while. And when we went, it it absolutely, I don't know, I could see, we actually, we actually went to this one house um that there was a uh, a pool um, ladder 
that was st- that was coming out of the ground, you know, like but the but the pool itself had been filled in, mm. and there was a couple of spots of uh, concrete that was around it that you could tell that's where uh, there was an outside grill and outside or outside, um, you know, kitchen type area and stuff, but everything was gone. Yeah, everything. I mean, it was just scraped, and um, yeah, it's it's a lot to think about, man. Because when you think about how how long some of those big oh, homes yeah. were i mean how, how long they had survived everything hundreds of hurricanes before i mean hurricane camille back in the 60s or 70s was another that just devastated the coast it, yeah. it devastated the fisheries it devastated the the shrimp the, the the shrimp fleets and everything else they're able to bounce back katrina was a whole another beast and then after, did it turn out being a five? It was a yeah. It was, they said it was a five plus. It, it was it was pretty much off the scales. A lot of them, um, but after after the after the, the third coast, the Gulf Coast, finally started seeing some recovery. Finally started getting their feet back up underneath them. You had the 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 Deepwell Horizon oil spill down there, and that was just all. You remember when that when that happened? You know. Just, I mean, tons of oyster companies closed shop because they couldn't sell their goods anymore. They they didn't know if they were going to be poisoning somebody. Um, shrimp, the shrimp population got decimated. Sure, you know, and it takes a special breed to live down here. It takes even more of a special breed to live live on the coast to be in it. Um. You know the weather is gorgeous. Um, a lot of history. The French and the Spanish and everyone else who's came up through there, um, man, to live in it day in day out and to weather, you know, a, a six eight month hurricane season every single year and never knowing if that lottery is going to pull your number or not. You know, I've got a lot of respect for those people because they have built back time and time and time again. And some people say, well, why would you want to just keep living somewhere where that could happen every – it's, it's fucking home. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, the same way, you know, people live in Kansas with, with tornadoes, people who live in California with earthquakes. And you don't it's, – it's all you know sometimes. So live in Iraq with your next-door neighbor figuring out bombs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just home, you know. I mean, that's – Damn. That could be some of our people right here too. But <laughs> we were sitting out there, and they're fucking around in the shop Saturday. Blah 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 blah. Some guy <laughs> next door bought a new gun, and he was trying that some bitch out. He was going through some ammo. I was like, holy shit! You know, it's just home, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people in the South get a lot of shit, a lot of shit, and rightfully so. Sometimes, I mean, when your pet rooster gets loose at a Cracker Barrel in Coleman, Alabama, I mean. <laughs> That's going to make some national news just for a good chuckle. We even, we even laughed on it, you know. But people say that, you know, the Gulf Coast is shit, a lot of backward people, and that's it's true. There's a lot of backward people everywhere. Though. Everywhere, yeah. You got your – I mean, you know. I, I tell you what, though, there's some good eating down here. Oh, shit. There's some really good eating. I mean, it's really – now, I mean, you know, you can get some really good seafood out of the Gulf. Oh, yeah. You know, all the, 
you can go to anywhere along the Gulf Coast and, and just get some really good seafood. That's some that's really good. Well, I was talking to one of the girls in, in the one of the the groups I'm in, and she said something about that they had a um, I think it was Sarah. I think shout out to Sarah. I think she said that uh, they had a, a shrimp farm in Missouri. You know, I was like, yeah, we got one down here too. It's called the Gulf Coast. <laughs> it's, it's the whole Gulf of Shrimp Farm. <laughs> That's all it is. Yeah, I saw a, an infographic uh, the other day about about uh, was it most common language, most spoken languages per state, excluding English and Spanish. Texas was Vietnam. You know why? It was when when the when Vietnam fell and they put all these people on boats and brought them to the U.S., a lot of them landed in Houston. Oh. And those people started shrimping. That's what they had done back home. Really? That's why on the Gulf Coast you have so many Vietnamese families. It's because it's a similar climate to Vietnam. Uh, they, had, they, had, they had been fishermen and shrimpers in Vietnam. They came here and set up the same shop. That's the reason why you go down, down on I-10 – Drive I ten close across the coast. It's Vietnamese deli, Vietnamese grocery store, Vietnamese restaurant because that's where they they came they came to the Gulf Coast. That was like their introduction to America, and way less useless war. <laughs> <laughs> way less, um, but yeah, I mean, I you know, and. and uh, my my buddy up in DC, he's he says something about move because he works remotely. He works for the VA, does like their their computer system stuff. He can work. He can work from anywhere, so it doesn't matter where he lives. He said, "You know, I'd move down there if it wouldn't, you know, for the clan and whatnot." I'm like, "Dude, that is that is so <laughs> insignificant in our area." I said, "You you don't like, nope. Much of racists live down there because like, he his family came from Korea." I'm like, dude, that's, it's it's not that's, that's old South. I said the new South is nothing like that. I said, yeah, you know, you're gonna have people down here that they're gonna be hardcore Republicans. You know, it's it's you know it's, it's red country, but I mean, they'll give you shit off your back, off their off their back. If you if they thought that you really needed it, and they got to know you, and I said, I said it's not it's not like that in our area. It's really not. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I. Yeah, I wouldn't mind living in the Bahamas or you know somewhere nice and pretty, man. But that's, uh, I did an interview with with Meredith Todd the other, uh, the other night, and uh, she said, "I think after I got done recording, she said, why do you still live down there?'" You know, it's, it's fucking home. You know, I've I've moved away two or three times, ended up coming back. Yeah, you know, cause this is this is where, as much as I hate a lot of things that happen down here, man, it's. It's where my folks, my folks are at. It's where mom's at. It's where pop's at. You know, it's where y'all. It's where all my friends are at. Yeah. You know, and it, it's hard to, um, it's hard to break away sometimes. We got indoor plumbing now too, so that's a plus. <laughs> and cars. We ride horses anymore. <laughs> Shoes. <Right>. Shoes. <laughs> we got roads. All the roads are sketchy at best. Come on. <laughs> Anything else y'all want to talk about tonight? I'm all out of quips for the day. You're all good. All right, well, in that case, I guess we'll wrap this up. Harpoon, Jut, thank y'all for coming on again. Enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah. Thank y'all for listening out there. Be sure to go by tripodbroadcasting.com. Check out all of our shows, including Matt and Addison over at Give That Some Thought. 
go by and check out Rick and the boys at Barnhill Outdoors. And check out Aaron's show, I Have the High Ground, his Star Wars podcast. Also, go by ebles.com, E-A-B-L-E-S.com, and save 15% on some premium CBD by using the promo code HANGO, H-A-N-G-O. And uh, they'll get you up over there. Also, check out MyDelta8.com. Thank you all so much for listening. I really appreciate your support. Please tell somebody. Come back and hear the next one also. I love every one of y'all. Love you guys. Hope you all have a good night. Talk to you next time. Bye.